0: We may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, that you have given us the precious blood of your Son, his, his, his loving life that he voluntarily laid down for our redemption, the forgiveness of our sins, the salvation of our souls, Father God. But you did not leave well enough alone, Father. You also raised up a merciful and sympathetic high priest who was tempted in every area of life like we are God and he intercedes for us God with a deep compassion a deep sympathy to watch us grow in our life as Christian men and women Father God and this merciful and faithful high priest will move heaven and earth for his children he is deeply in love with us Father and we know that God teach us and encourage us to storm the throne of grace God to receive that precious mercy and grace when we need it, Father God. Timely, strategic. Help us, God. For the greatest of all intimacy is to come to you at the throne of grace and plead our case, God. As we come to the throne of grace, let the real Brian Mott, let the real Christian man and woman show up, Father God, and pour out our heart to you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Uh, if you're new to the book of Hebrews if you're new to this verse of scripture one of the most famous in all the New Testament uh, one our life depends on every moment of the day you might not even realize it our worship was sweet today so sweet it's because of Jesus Christ is at the throne of grace he's making this all real this is not because we, we muscled up some kind of spiritual strength it's because Christ is pleased And he sends his Holy Spirit to encourage us and to strengthen us and to remind us of what he did at Calvary for us. That was not a refrain that we just said over and over and over and over and over again. That's the Holy Spirit empowering the truth of the gospel that Christ laid down his life. And and we sing it into our hearts. And and, and it was sweet to my soul and prayerfully it was to you. Uh, Let me talk about a couple of things prior to getting into our text. Since the dawn of time, the relationship between God and man has always been strained. We know that. It's called the fall, Genesis chapter 3. And has always existed a line of separation between God and man. And the world we live in consistently shows the marks of an estranged relationship with their creator, whether it's hate or war. Evil, sickness, death, tragedy, terror, murder, along with more the refined sins of the inner heart, animosity, greed, lust, power seeking, dominion over others, jealousy, malice, slander. It's part of life. And it separates us, not just from one another, but it separates us from God. The list goes on and on and on. And into this world steps biblical religion, and don't miss this. Don't think for a moment because someone is bowing down to God and praying that God hears them in a favorable way. God only hears in a favorable, saving way those who come to him through Jesus Christ. Nobody else. He hears every prayer that ever goes up. But favorably, as a redeemer, only through Christ. But even in biblical religion, it's been piecemeal. If you've never heard that before. It's a slow revelation of God about himself and his creatures. What began the Old Testament as types and shadows and rules of engagement, uh, moral legislation of life like the Ten Commandments and the whole sacrificial system has finally blossomed into a real relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Make no mistake, the worship you had today was never even tasted upon in the Old Testament. But this is where today's sermon picks up, and it's a big but. We're still flawed. Am I the only one who knows that? Is there an amen of solidarity in this room? We're still very, very flawed. In every way, we are still flawed. And in a sense, God still has a barrier up. One that still separates him from a flawed humanity. I love it. get everybody thinking. But this barrier is alive. He's living and he's loving and he's redeeming. He has feeling, he has desires for us. His tears for our failures. He has hope for our change. Christ was raised and ascended for a living, dynamic relationship with his people. We can storm the throne of grace because there's a merciful and sympathetic high priest who's there at the right hand of God. Make no mistake about it. A man, don't forget this, a man ascended into heaven, but he, we know he's yet more than a man. He longs to lead others to the throne of grace. He's full of mercy for his people who are still on this earth, fighting the flesh, fighting temptations, fighting Satan. He feels for us. He brings to the table a lifetime of overcoming any and all sin and temptation. Of mind, of heart. Every sinister lie of the evil one, he has overcome with the truth of the word of God. Every temptation to rebel against God and forge his own course, he has overcome. Every hypocritical lie of the Pharisees, he saw right through it. Every mean word from his own family, as John 7 teaches us, he overcame. From childhood to adulthood, he remained faithful in all areas of his life. Even at the last and hardest moments of his life, he remained faithful to the giving up of his own soul. He has insights into human nature that would put to shame the world's greatest therapist or psychologist. He can meet the need of the weakest human being. He can humble the pride of the greatest king. He can encourage a child and a mother at the same time. He can save men with their last breath. He can hold our broken hearts, whatever causing any damage. He has never failed. He has never lost one, never had a sinful thought, sinful attitude, sinful word. He has access into every human heart. He knows us intimately, every area of our life. He knows what we need before we even ask, and he has the answer. He can heal every hurt, every anxious thought. He never gets tired of hearing our story, never gets frustrated with us, never gives up never makes us feel less than never makes us feel ashamed never uses our sins against us and this is only a small handful of his credentials besides that he's almighty god he's the creator of all things he holds the keys to the kingdom he has the power of life and death in his hand he took down satan he took down sin and he even took down death he's above every created thing visible or invisible thrones of men or thrones of angels everything he has ever created has to answer be- to him before it can even move a leaf doesn't fall from a tree Unless it gets permission from Christ. This is our high priest. This is our mediator. There's none other. None other is needed. He's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. And he sits down waiting for us to come to. What Jesus did at the cross was to justify in God's eyes all his people. Just as we've never sinned. We call this positional righteousness. We don't feel perfect, but God sees us as perfect. And you've got to accept that by faith. There's nothing I could do for you. All of us just have to accept it. We have to have the aha moment one day and say, I can't believe it. He really sees me as perfect. That's the cross. But what Jesus does now, at the right hand of God the Father, is more practical. He's representing us right now in time and space before God as our high priest. He's pouring out his heart to God on our behalf. He changes us from the inside out in real time and space now. The cross justifies The throne of grace sanctifies. One is sin forgiven. That's the cross. The throne of grace is sin removed. Sanctification is justification in action. Could you imagine God forgiven every sin, which He did, and is? leaving us there with no hope but just have to live in a world in a heart of sin the rest of our life. That's a half a work. We're going to find out what Christ did and what Christ is doing right now for us. Remember something about the high priest. The high priest of the Old Testament was called specifically by God to represent sinful men before a holy and just God. A man could not at all, just go before God unannounced by himself. He had to go to prescribe the way there was a strict prescription to go before God. And the high priest did that on behalf of the nation once a year in the Day of Atonement. He went to the mercy seat and he put the blood of the heifer on there. And their sins were forgiven for the nation. He was praying and interceding for them all the time. But this was a man who was also flawed. And so he was capable of being sympathetic to the people's needs. It's kind of a good bedside manner that some doctors have. I remember when my, me and my wife were going to see uh oncologist because Terry was going through cancer, and we went to several places, and it, 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 it was no, there was no feeling. There was a lot of facts and, you know... Prescriptions on how to deal with this, and and we went to one other place, and we went to uh, Dr. K uh, up at uh, Cornell, and and we sat there for 15 minutes, and we knew right away this is the guy. He listened to everything with compassion and mercy and tenderness, and that's what we were praying for. We needed a sign. Our prayer was, God, send us a sign. We have to know who the person is, and by seeing two or three people first, that. Our heart's desire was not filled. When we met this man, we met a man who was not just a doctor, but he was a human being. I have a good friend of mine, he's a surgeon, athletic man, and uh, a great shape all his life. But he told me, as we had coffee one day, we were just sharing things about life, and he said he had come into uh, some serious uh, orthopedic, and he's an orthopedic, injuries that caused him a lot of pain and suffering for a long time. He says, Brian, this has made me so much more of a better doctor than I ever could be without it. I can feel my patience now. That's what Christ did for us. God designed it this way. That we would have someone who can feel our suffering. Who lived it. You ever been really tempted? Remember something. Our greatest temptation are nothing compared to the temptation Christ experienced. (laughs) At all. (coughs) Let me tell you something. You don't scare Satan. Christ does. (laughs) Remember that. We still, the only reason we can shoo away Satan is because we walk in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And under his authority, we reign no authority of our own because the accuser of the brethren which is Satan has all the details of our little nasty lives and he can recall it anytime he wants and he can remind you just the way he reminded Adam and Eve that they failed but yet greater than him is Jesus sympathetic to every one of our failures He knows us intimately. He knows what makes us tick. He knows what makes us fall. And he's there through it all. Verse 16 is our main text tonight. I'm going to share three truths that the text gives us. Uh, I'm going to give them to you first and I'll read the text. It says, where to go? How to go and what to ask for. You ready? Where to go? Say it. Where to go? How to go, how to go. And, what to ask for. and what to ask for. Let's read four sixteen now. Can we put that up there? Thank you. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace. That's what the where. That we may receive mercy and find grace in the time of need. What to ask for, and how to go is with confidence. Let's go to the throne of grace. Are you with me? It's a word picture. The scriptures are always using metaphors and analogy and word pictures and similes to grab our attention, to grab our redeemed imagination, not sinful imaginations, a redeemed imagination that can see the glory of God in everything now biblical. That the Bible says it, God's glory is in it. My imagination's going to allow me to see the magnificence of Christ. He's at the throne of grace. It reveals a great king who loves his subjects, a king who is accessible to all at all times, in all places, not just church on Sunday. But at the lowest moments of your life, when we are actually failing the temptation, we can cry out as Peter did as he was sinking. Lord Jesus, save me. That's a throne of grace. A wise king who invites his people to spend time with him and opens up their hearts on all matters of life. It's like sitting at the feet of Solomon in the Old Testament, just listening to the wisdom that God had given this man for the children of Israel. A sort of spiritual operating room where the heart is changed to be more wise and sympathetic as the earthly Jesus was. You know when it says you're being created into the image of Christ? It's not the Jesus at the right hand, it's the Jesus who walked earth. So that we start to resemble faithfulness the way Jesus was faithful in all things to the Father by the Word of God. That's what we do. He did it perfectly, we do it imperfectly. Everything the believer needs in your life. Did you come in here with any need today? Emotional, spiritual, physical, financial, domestic, social? What do you need? It's at the throne of grace. There's nothing you need right now as I speak that's not found at the throne of grace. It's there. It's for your taking. It is free of charge. Christ can give it in abundance. He knows what you need at every moment of the day. And we don't come as beggars to the throne of grace. No, we come as royal children. When you and I call, God drops everything. And gives you nothing less than undivided attention over the smallest matter of your life. Everything stops when we walk in. All other businesses put on hold so he can hear our personal appeal. It's a picture of absolute openness, no barriers, no rules, just the pure red carpet. Here comes my children. This is the throne of grace. That very throne of grace for you and me, isn't it nice? It's the very throne Christ will sit on and judge every sinner. It's the throne of justice, holiness, and perfection. And he will sit on that throne and he will separate the sheep from the goats, the tares from the wheat. He will say to people from that throne, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. How are we to go to this throne of grace? Confidently and boldly. As I said, not as beggars hoping to get some crumbs that fall off the master's table, but royal children who need sustenance from the throne of God Himself. The believer has free access to the throne of grace. And should take every opportunity to go there, not arrogantly or recklessly, but with reverence and awe, (coughs) absence of all shame and guilt. Guilt and shame in Scripture are seen as a consequence of sin. The inner man realizes this, the conscience of man realizes this, and he does everything he can to avoid God. The believer's shame and guilt are done away with. His conscience has been cleansed once and for all by the blood of Jesus Christ. Listen, listen carefully to Hebrews chapter 9. Starting in verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation... He entered once and for all into the holy place, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Oh, for if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a hef- heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offer himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works? To serve the living God, we can come fully aware that God, I've sinned again against you, and you still do not hold it against me, O God. I come before you, flawed humanity, and there is no condemnation against me. You. nodded against me almighty God, but I come I need mercy I need more grace in my life father God but I come com- I come confidently and boldly though my conscience does not want me to come though Satan does not want me to come though religion says you should never go to God in that condition I'm coming anyway oh God the young believer needs time knowing how to approach God with such boldness with such confidence the maturing believer begins to access this grace understand something there's no change in your life unless you're at the throne of grace you can come to church all you want my job is to point you to the throne of grace I can only do so much But the best thing John and me could ever do is point you to the throne of grace. The mature believer is someone who went there, camped there, stays there, and lives there. The mature believer doesn't want to leave the throne of grace. He knows, she knows what life is outside the throne of grace going through something as a young believer and I remember God sharing in my heart I just knew it was the voice of God in my heart not audibly but in my heart and I was just cheered up for what his forgiveness and the grace he was giving me and I remember just saying amen he says why are you leaving? Why are you leaving? That's almost 30 years ago and I, I, I still can't answer that. Why would you leave the presence of God? But I think you get My understanding. That's the difference between a mature Christian. A mature Christian goes to the throne of grace, knows how to stay there, knows how to camp there, knows their need to be there all the time close to Christ. Jesus almost had to beat this into Peter when Peter didn't want his feet washed. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, I have nothing to do with you. You're still flawed, Peter. You'll always be flawed, Peter. And you're always going to have to come to the throne of grace so I can clean your feet. You live in a filthy world, and you still got sin in your heart, and you need the throne of grace. The throne of grace. This is prime real estate. This is oceanfront living at its best. You can't put a price on this prime real estate. No, look, this is VIP. You can't storm the throne of grace unless your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You've got to be saved by the cross before you can go to the throne of grace. Amen. 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 Let it become a familiar place, one we long for, one we take great comfort in. The throne of grace could be found in the car. You can be found with coffee in the morning with the Lord. Tea in the afternoon. Dessert at night. Three in the morning. <laughs> I tell you, and me and Pastor John speak about this all the time. The throne of grace is so sweet in the morning when I wake up in the middle of the night and I can't sleep. There's no distractions. Except whatever was ever going on. But I can literally just stay there and just feel the presence of God. And I'm like, Lord, if I don't sleep, it's okay. I'm with you right now. You'll get me through work tomorrow, whatever it is. I'm in the throne, I'm in the presence of Almighty God. Understand something about this throne of grace. Things happen at the throne of grace. Life is never the same when you spend time at the throne of grace. Boys become men at the throne of grace. Sin has to bow the knee at the throne of grace. Satan has to flee at the throne of grace. There's never no vacancy for fear at the throne of grace. The old man is transformed into the new man at the throne of grace. Bad news from the doctor, from the government, from the wars that makes no difference has no room at the throne of grace. Past sins aren't invited to the throne of grace. Failures aren't invited to the throne of grace. Present sins are thrown away as far as the east is from the west at the throne of grace. The future always looks hopeful at the throne of grace. The pessimist turns into an optimist at the throne of grace. The heathenist turns into a saint at the throne of grace. It becomes the best part of our life. Without the throne of grace, life stays stagnant just getting by. How you doing? Doing the best I can, Pastor. I'm doing the best, like a wet noodle. Doing the best I can. The flesh is weak. Pastor, the flesh is weak. Doing the best I can. You know what that means? I never go to the throne of grace. Because life doesn't stay stagnant at the throne of grace. Life isn't just getting by at the throne of grace. See, at the throne of grace, it takes intimacy, and that's why God's children struggle so much with it, because at the throne of grace, you have to be transparent you got to let it all hang out. you got to let the dirty stuff hang out at the throne of grace. you got to tell God you're a whoremonger without him at the throne of grace. You're a liar and a gossip without him at the throne of grace. You have nothing good in you at the throne of grace. You're laid bare and naked and you have nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ at the throne of grace. Amen. You can bring every filthy, rotten sin to the throne of grace. Ungodly desires you wouldn't tell another human being, you bring it to the throne of grace. Anything you've ever said never leaves the throne of grace. He never whispers our failures and our weaknesses and our sins to another human being at the throne of grace what do we ask for at the throne of grace well much can be said about what people ask for but the most important thing is what do we need we need more mercy and we need more grace it's twofold 416 says that we may receive mercy Receive it and find grace to help in a time of need. I'll start with to receive mercy. (coughs) God's not cheap in forgiveness, is he? He lavishes us. And this is what the word means to receive. It means to actually go up and grasp it with two hands and say, God, I have to have mercy. Mercy. My conscience is defiled and I have to have you. I feel like a leper because of my sin. I must have mercy for nothing else will do. The ongoing need of a Christian to be nourished by God's mercy is tantamount to living a victorious Christian. the conscience of the believer gets more sensitive. You know, the longer you're a Christian, more sensitive your conscience becomes. The things I cry over now are not the things I cried over 30 years ago. It's the more refined areas of my heart that are still wicked. The subtle self-righteous judgments of other people. The character assassinations of other people. the, The feeling better than other people, even for a moment. How dare how dare I slander someone created in the image of God then come to church and praise God. (laughs) Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's tantamount to living a victorious Christian life. The subtleties of sin are diabolical. I'm going to borrow a phrase from Alcoholics Anonymous preamble that sin is cunning it's baffling and it's powerful actually Hebrews 3.12 says do not fall into the deceitfulness of sin mercy is Jesus washing our dirty feet temptations within temptations without This mercy guarantees a fresh start with God any time of the day. Any time. Any moment. A minute ago, you could be the worst heel ever. And a minute later, you can be totally free by the mercy of God. There's no warming up. There's no rehearsing. There's no beating yourself, self-pity. Just go to God. Go to God. That's where it changes. Go to God. Go to God. But that's only half of the equation, I should say. God gives mercy, yes, and we need it, yes. But the growing Christian now knows there is grace. There's moral strength to carry on the fight. Grace here means spiritual power to be invigorated by the Spirit of God to live As people of God. Mercy you get when you failed. Grace is there for when you're in the fight. In the midst of the fight. This spiritual power, this grace, this power, this due to us. To overcome our personal weaknesses in our life that lead us to sinning. ...or spiritual power to overcome the fear of man. One of the reasons the book of Hebrews was written, because they were getting tired of persecution and social ostracism. So they started going back into the Old Testament ways of Judaism, of the high priest, because they couldn't take it anymore. And the reason he's encouraging them, that Jesus the high priest, to continue the fight... Continue to fight. Are you weared down by your family who's always yelling and screaming at you because you're a Bible-believing, born-again believer? Are you tired? You can't take it no more? Go to the throne of grace and watch God empower you to overcome all persecution. What that grace you need for those prolonged periods of hardships in your life, when is it going to end? My life is not in my control, it's in the control of A, B, and C, it's in control of the courts, it's in control of the X, it's in control of this. How can I make it? How can I make it? I need grace. It's at the throne of grace. The ability to stand strong under all pressures of life, all pressures of life, all pressures of life. As the Christians in the first century were being led to the slaughter, whole families would go down gathered singing hymns. And the crowds were cheering. Their bloodlust wanted to see the lions rip them apart and eat them alive. And they were there hungry. They wanted the crowds were screaming for the blood of the martyrs, And they walked in worshiping God. They walked in worshiping God. they were at the throne of grace. Paul and Silas were at the throne of grace when they were in jail. Peter was at the throne of grace when he was in jail. It's the ability to stand strong until the end. To fight the good fight to the end. Whatever is lacking in our character is found at the throne of grace. You're not going to find it here. You're going to find it there. You're going to find it in the pages of Scripture. Let me give you one application. I mentioned it already. This church was falling under the pressure of the community around them, the culture. And they wanted to compromise because they were just tired of being persecuted and socially ostracized. And and the confiscation of their goods, they couldn't take it no more. And this letter is written to keep on keeping on. But the way he weaves the letter together, it's a homily, it's, it's, it's a sermon, the way he weaves it together. Go home tonight and read the rest of this until chapter 11. It's all about the high priesthood of Christ. It's at the throne of grace that will keep you from ever going backwards in your life. It's at the throne of grace that will keep us steadfast in the face of cultural persecution when we can stand up and say, no, Jesus is the only way. You have to be born again. You have to repent of every foul sin to enter into the kingdom of God the world doesn't want we live in a society that is becoming more hostile to the Christian message you need to get close to the throne of grace because there's no hope anywhere else Father we thank you and we love you Lord help us to make this our home away from home Father God let us get so familiar with the surroundings of the throne of grace that when we're ushered into the presence of God we can say there he is There he is, the Prince of Peace, who showered me with peace beyond my understanding so many times when I went to him and I prayed, and now I'm seeing him face to face. Father God, let us storm boldly and confidently, knowing that you'll never deny us, for even the worst of all sins, God, of falling backwards make no difference to you, God, is mercy and grace at the throne of grace. Help us all, Father God, to call the throne of grace our prayer closet. Help us to run there every day, God. Help us to go to the throne of grace, God, as a preemptive strike against the weaknesses of our known flesh. Again, against the weaknesses of our known flesh. God, teach us to come before the temptation takes us down. Teach us to come before, Father God, the world takes us out. Teach us to come to you first before Satan tries to get at us, Father God. Teach us to come and grow at the throne of grace in Jesus' name.